Welcome. You are listening to Intentional Conversations from Nika White Consulting, an encore presentation of our weekly podcast where we intersect diversity, equity, and inclusion with leadership and business. Let the conversation begin. Now, you all are familiar, especially if you've been joining us for quite some time, that before we bring on our guest co-hosts, we like to take a moment to provide um, a formal bio and introduction of that person. And so today will be no different. We are welcoming Lisette Martinez, and I am going to read her official bio. I want you to know her accolades, her credentials, how in which she shows up to this space, and then we'll be given an opportunity to directly hear from Lisette as she greets each of us in her own way. Lisette Martinez is the executive Vice President and Chief Diversity Officer for Jefferson Health and Thomas Jefferson University. She leads Jefferson's integration of diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives and practices to ensure excellence in education, research, and patient care. From developing results-oriented strategies and designing effective diversity and inclusion education programs to building strong relationships with community organizations, government agencies, and departments within Jefferson, Lizette works to ensure that all parts of Jefferson reflect the diverse cultures it serves. Previously, Lissette served as Yale New Haven Health Systems Chief Diversity and Inclusion Officer, where she was responsible for the success and continued growth of the system's diversity and inclusion efforts, guiding analysis, development and implementation of strategies to advance diversity and inclusion throughout the entire system. Before joining Yale New Haven, Lissette Martinez was the System Director of Diversity and Language Services at TriHealth. Her responsibilities, including leading a multidimensional DNI strategy, enhancing the inclusion efforts of the workforce, and advocating actions to help achieve advantages of a diverse workforce. She facilitated the implementation of diversity change management initiatives and worked to provide linguistic services for patients who have limited English proficiency or are deaf or hard of hearing. In 2020, Lisette was recognized as one of the top 100 women of influence by diversity MBA media. She is also the recipient of the 2016 Top 100 Under 50 Executive Leaders Award by Diversity MBA Magazine and was also a 40 Under 40 awardee in 2012. And to add to that, was one of the first women in Cincinnati to receive the Women of Influence Award by Lead Magazine in 2013. In 2014, Lisette was awarded the Multicultural Leadership Award by the Ohio Diversity Council. She has also been honored by Major League Baseball with the Seat 21 Award that recognizes individuals who embody the humanitarian spirit of Robert Roberto Clemente. She is a proud member of the Urban Leaders Class 21 and is a graduate of Leadership Cincinnati Class 38. She also graduated with Delta Epsilon Sigma Honors from Thomas More University with an MBA in May of 20, 2006 and received her BBA from the University of Cincinnati in August of 1996. And she has one daughter, Giselle Sophia, what a beautiful name, who was a senior at the University of Cincinnati. And this is not in her bio, but I'm also proud to say that she is my sister. She is a member of Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated. And so we share that in common as well. I'm going to stop sharing my screen now because I want to add Lisette Martinez to our spotlight today. And Lisette, welcome. Thank you for saying yes to our <laughs> invite. So look forward to getting you into this conversation. 
And I prepped you because I wanted you to know that while we read all of your accolades and yes, sometimes our guest co-hosts will say, please don't read all of that. And I'm like, no, I'm reading it all. I'm reading it all. We're standing in our worth and in our knowledge and you deserve every bit of that time that was spent and sharing your, your accolades and credentials. But now what I would love for you to do is greet the audience in your own way and specifically maybe share with us a couple fun facts or tidbits about you that we would not know from reading your bio. And, um, and we just love to, to to hear from you as we jumpstart this, what I know is going to be an amazing conversation. So welcome, Lisette. Thank you so much, Dr. White. It is a pleasure to be here. Thank you very much for including me in your podcast. This is an amazing opportunity to kind of share some of the work that I am doing, but I just want to really express the gratitude of all the work that you do in the DEI space and how you open up the dialogue and it, you really are truly a change agent. And thank you so very much to you and your entire team. They've been phenomenal in, in working with me in developing uh, this material for today. So thank you all. Um, so, you know, it is kind of like when you when you hear your bio, you get kind of <laughs> shy and, and back away from things. And, um, you know, we have to get better at that. So thank you so much. I, I appreciate you do sharing some of the things that, I, that I've done in, in my work experience. But some of the fun things are some things that people may not know about me. Um, you know, we talk a lot about the work that I've done in healthcare in the DEI space. Um, but actually, what a lot of people don't know is I actually started my career as a buyer. I was a, a buyer in the retail space for several years. I worked for companies like Toys R Us. Um, I worked for Luxottica Retail. I worked for Chiquita Brands um, and uh, Macy's in supplier diversity, which was what we're going to talk about today. Um, but I, I will say I, I wanted to share a story. I was talking to Dr. White about this, you know. Um, a lot of times people go through epiphanies in life and, and reflect upon things that, you know, get them to make different decisions. And for me, although um, I, you know, started my career as a buyer, I made a huge decision to pivot my career into diversity and inclusion. And I just love to share the story as to why I did that. So, um, you know, when I first started, I, I was working at Luxottica Retail. And if, for those who don't know what Luxottica is, it's an eyeglass, it's eyeglasses. They do lens crafters. You may have heard of Elori sunglasses, Pearl Vision. I was a buyer for Sunglass Hut, which is under Luxottica Retail. Mm. And um, at the time, um, uh, you know, you get lots of these notices of new jobs opening up. And um, there was a job that, that, that I saw that kind of sparked my attention. You know, Luxottica is an Italian company, um, but they wanted to start a, a diversity and inclusion department that, you know, was new to them. And they were bringing in a consultant and they were looking for people interested in being the mm -hmm. first manager to kind of run this, this department. And I thought to myself, what is this? And I started reading and it led me back to a story when I was 12 years old. And so I'll give you a little background. I grew up in Detroit, Michigan. My family is Puerto Rican background, but I grew up in, in the seventies in a very black and white community. Um, so I never really saw myself, not a lot of Hispanics in, in Detroit at that time and going to school I never saw myself anywhere. Um, and I remember in the sixth grade, we were at a camping trip at a camp called Camp Tamarack. 
And I was coming out of the lunch line, going into the canteen, which is the lunchroom. And I noticed um, that my black friends were on one side of the room and my white friends were on the other. Now I'm 12 years old and I'm like, you know, shook. And I'm like, okay, where do I sit? And I'm just standing there in awe. Like it's the first time I'd ever seen this type of segregated because in school you sit with your class. You didn't sit, you know, everyone sits with their class, you know, mates. This time we got to choose where we sat. And it was an organic experience where you see the segregation happen and you see it still today. So as I'm standing there, the counselor's like, Lisa, what are you doing? And I said, I said, I don't know where to sit. And she goes, you can sit anywhere. And I said, my black friend's on one side and my white friend's on the other. Where do I sit? She didn't even question it. She turned around and she made everybody move. And that feeling that I had at 12 years old was just such an amazing feeling where I felt like, oh, I'm part of something, but I didn't know really what it meant. But when I was working at Luxottica and I saw that position come by my desk, diversity and inclusion, the word inclusion just resonated. And I said, that's what I felt when I was 12. And Mm -hmm. I, I made a decision. I said, I want this job. You know, I had to take a step back. I had to pivot my career and really work hard to work with diversity folks within Cincinnati. But I made the choice to take the step back to really provide the opportunity for employees to feel included in organizations. And that's really my mission. It's such a great story, Lissette. I love so much about it, particularly that you were 12 and you had influence, right? Influence that stayed with you and also influenced others and influenced your future path. And, and sometimes that's all it takes. You know, we, we don't have to have some big epiphany. It literally can be just one experience that allows us to open up our, our, our mindset around um, the, the value of, of inclusion. And um, so I, 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 love, I love that story. I also appreciate how your start was, in procurement was in buying, purchasing, mm-hmm. and um, supplier diversity, which again is going to be a, a big topic that we will cover today. Um, and then you broaden that to so many other ways in which you could impact this work of inclusion and equity and belonging. Um, I shared with you before that I am deeply committed to this work of economic inclusion. You know, some of the the the, the time that I spend in this space has a lot to do with helping minority businesses grow and thrive and compete effectively in the marketplace. Um, and so, this is a topic that's very near and dear to my heart. And I'm so glad that we can amplify it because I think that under the broad umbrella of DEI, we talk about a lot of important things. And supplier diversity sometimes is not the one that tends to fall to the top of the list. And no. I would like to see more of that. So today is going to be a great, great, great conversation. It also reminds me, Lissette, that sometimes when we think about DEI, we will relegate it to like one particular department. And and most often it's all about HR and the human capital. That's a big piece of it, significant piece of it. But it impacts everything, every operation, purchasing, procurement, marketing, or I mean, everything. And so I love that when we talk about supplier diversity, it gives us another way to amplify the need for the lens of DEI to be infiltrated into every single aspect of an organization. So let's jump right in. Supplier diversity was mandated by an executive order back in 1969 by President Nixon. Why is it just as important now as it was then? And what have you seen in terms of an evolution around supplier diversity from then to now? Yeah, great question. Thank you. Um, So, you know, when you think about where it started, um, originally the history um, began within the construction field. 
and mm -hmm. getting folks, um, you know, I think that, you know, back in the 60s, there was a big uh, uh, need because in the construction space, you have lots of general contractors that were mostly white owned. So that's, there's a monopoly there across the US. And then you have a lot of subs, uh, subcontractors that fill some of these larger contracts um, to help complete a big project in, in building. And minority subs were not making the cut into these larger contracts. And, um, you know, when you have, um, and, 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 you know, you think about systemic racism and how it how it has led into our country and the history behind that. And when you have majority owned construction companies that have their friends who have they've known for many years, they have very tight niche relationships and, and um, control of who can be part of projects, then you have the smaller subs and minority and women-owned subs that don't make the cut because of that. There's no connection, there's no networking, there's no filtering in these organizations to help them grow in the community. And so there was a need to address it and to really stem, you know, what does that supplier diversity look like? And it's grown, right? It's not just construction uh, and facilities anymore. It's now right. into what are the goods and services that can really help um, our organizations grow. And so it's just as important now as it is then. And unfortunately, it's really sad to say that not a lot has really changed. You still see these same norms happen. Um, and in the buying world, that's the nature of the buying world. I was a buyer. When you have a contract, whether it's good services, construction, general man, uh, construction or contract management, you tend to um, lean towards those people you know and um, have confidence and trust and know we'll do a good job regardless of how much you're paying. <laughs> and the mm -hmm. buyer kind of sets the tone, even though their number one issue uh, responsibility is to lower costs for our stakeholders, right? Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. we know, oh my gosh, we know this company, he's a buddy, he's going to do really good. And then we keep giving that person a contract. Yes. And it's yes. easy because then you don't have to start another RFP, which is a request for proposal and start the whole process. It's just easier to continue that. And that becomes common. And so, you know, what what we have to begin to look at is what is that competitive advantage for our organization? What do we need to do as organizations to understand better, to save our organization money, and to really help with the economic inclusion within the footprint in which we hold uh, within our communities? Yeah. So, um, Again, so much of what you're sharing is really resonating with me. I also want to make sure that for those who are gathered here today, um, that we know this is not only just a practice that a lot of large corporations need to be mindful of. I also think that sometimes the smaller or mid-sized businesses um, don't have this in their consideration set because they believe, well, my you know resources aren't as deep as like a big brand box, you know, organization or corporation. But that's not true. We all have spend needs. Whatever your spend needs are, just be much more intentional to consider ethnic minority owned businesses, women-owned businesses, veteran-owned businesses, businesses that operate into these low, um, moderate income communities, because that helps build up the local economies as well. But I think that there's a message here, regardless of the size of the organization. So I just wanted to plug that for a quick moment. 
I love the fact that you amplify this, this concept of supplier diversity starting within construction, because that is a big area that I know a lot of minority um, contractors are really challenged. I'll share a quick story, and it happens to be related to a healthcare facility that's in the upstate of South Carolina. But years ago, again, I do a lot of work with minority businesses. There's a There was a minority business owner that was new in the construction space and had was getting a good bit of traction and work uh, within the hospital system was um, doing a lot of construction and they were looking for, uh, for suppliers. And what they realized is that while we're committed to supplier diversity and we do pretty well with a um, good, good percentage of our spend with minority suppliers, not in the construction space. And they had to dig deep to ask questions like, why is this? And what they realize is that there are too many barriers and limitations that prevent minority contractors from being in the consideration set. Because even if you are a well-established contractor and you've you know, done that work in different regards, if you haven't done it for a healthcare facility, that's a whole nother world. There's a lot of other considerations you have to have. So they ended up developing this really robust program, mentor protege program, where they brought this minority um, contractor in and for a year, they paid the stipend of this individual just to learn under their other contractors, to learn the way how to do this level of work for this type of entity. And it was a game changer. And I love that because it helps to really underscore the innovative approach that sometimes we have to have to be able to drive results when really when we really are trying to support minority contractors. And so I, I wanted to, to share that story because lots of bias exists within that, that process, right? Yeah, it does. It does. I, I, I want to mention something too. You know, you said, you know, these programs to help mentor and to get smaller organizations in is so incredibly important because you're right. You know, I'm in healthcare and <laughs> the, the subcontractors need to learn and understand how to work within a space where you have patients. And that yes. is very different than being able just to paint in a, in a, you know, brand new facility where there's nobody. Right. And so it does take a lot of partnerships to do that. And larger GCs now are recognizing it. You know, I want to recognize Turner construction. It's mm -hmm. a majority yes. owned construction company. However, they have a phenomenal mentoring program right. and they do. helping smaller construction companies move up into the world and learning that space, especially in healthcare. Yes, no, absolutely. Turner Construction is a great example. So thank you for, for, for shouting them out. So how can supplier diversity become financially and socially beneficial to an organization? Let's talk about those benefits. Yeah, you know, I think there's it's a great topic financially and socially both. Um, you know, there are two things. We, we want to help our organizations understand how important it is to work with our, our local vendors. And I want to want to share this too. all of us. And Dr. White mentioned it before, whether you're a large company or a small company should really think about the importance of uh, really investing in your community. Um, what's important is that you understand that if you are a brick and mortar organization, you take up space in that community. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. if you are a large company, you're taking up a lot of space. And when yeah. you take up that space, you have a responsibility to make sure that your community flourishes and are responsible right. for making sure that you engage and that you keep your, your footprint within your communities um, also a part of your business and bringing them along to help them grow. And that's a huge responsibility uh, for organizations, um, but it's one that 
is both going to financially help you because you're working with local vendors and thinking about an entire request for a proposal, not a whole lot of uh, distance. So you're right there, right? And then socially, you have a community that now sees um, how much you are engaged in growing that community and helping that community grow. And that's about economic inclusion. And that's incredibly mm -hmm. important on the social aspect. But we have to make um, intentional decisions to make that happen. And having folks really um, spotlight this work um, and partner with the right entities um, within your community are incredibly helpful. So you have organizations like the National Minority Supplier Development Council, which is NMS. SDC. And I know, Dr. White, you're a member of the NMSDC yes. certified vendor. Certified, yes. <laughs> and also with WeBank, our Women's Business Entrepreneurial yes. National Council as well, um, is incredibly important to be members of these organizations who are leading the effort across the country because they have chapters in a lot of major yes. cities that help connect and help build capacity in education and um, working with small businesses, women-owned, minority-owned, to help them grow and lead their business and connect them with corporations. So <laughs> that's a big, big trigger. So having these partnerships um, with these organizations to help you make these connections, find the right vendors for the spaces you need them in is incredibly important. And financially, you know, when you're working with your local vendors, um, you're really helping the organization save money uh, by utilizing a closer space, a closer niche of, right. of folks to be a part of your organization, and also um, helping your organ, helping your community grow economically um, as well by this organization now being able to flourish with these connections. So it's so important. No, it's so important. And, and yes, NWC is really proud to be, um, as a woman-owned business, certified through WeBank and certified through NMSDC. And so we reference NMSDC. I want to make sure for those in this community who may not be familiar that they can have the opportunity to learn more. So National Minority Supplier Development Council, if we could get someone on the team to please share that resource into the chat. Uh, I'm also proud to say that here in my market, I'm, I'm physically located in the upstate of South Carolina. So we are part of CVMSDC, Carolina's Virginia Minority Supplier um, Development Council. And um, again, they, they work very diligently to help support um, the needs from a business development perspective of the minority businesses, as well as they have a corporation side where they're really helping those corporations to get much more engaged in, again, recognizing the need to um, be much more intentional and, and innovative in their approach to increasing um, diverse supplier spend. So Great, great resources. Um, so I'm seeing into the, um, again, we are live on LinkedIn. And so we also have some comments that will come forth through our LinkedIn community that are joining us. And so I want to acknowledge um, one of the comments that's been um, raised and go ahead and bring that to the conversation, Lisette. So she's saying, are we working to rename this contractor strategy? Minority is not a word we are trying to use and raise up these days within DEI work. So I want to just kind of share my high level thoughts. I'm also curious to hear yours as well. I agree that it is not the best word, especially for those of us who are practitioners in this space, because this certainly can send a message that minority is, is um, 
inferior, less than, and that's certainly not it. I think that the reason it continues to find its way in, in, our, in our vocabulary and in our language as we're talking about economic inclusion, supplier diversity, is because it is how universally most people understand it. I think about like in our market where I leverage the Minority Business Accelerator Program. It is because how in which we define minority is very much closely connected to how in which you know the local government kind of defines minorities for all of the programs that are associated with it. But the nomenclature is quite, it quite varies. Sometimes people say diverse supplier. I also believe this. I think that just as we are trying to recruit for diverse talent within organizations, specificity is really important. So in our market, when we really launched, you know, 10 years ago, the minority um, business accelerator program, what we found was that minority businesses, specifically ethnic minority owned businesses, they were the most disproportionate. We saw that over decades, they were employing 2.5 individuals and that number was remaining the same. What that said to us is that those businesses were not growing. They were not really able to compete effectively to be able to create jobs. And so for us, when we started the launch, it was all about focusing on um, the most marginalized business community. And that was the black and brown community. And so we have to be very specific about it. I want to get you in the conversation with that to just share your thoughts. Is that nomenclature that you all have thought very intently about um, at Jefferson? And, and how, how do you navigate these types of conversations? Yeah, yeah, thank you. You know, um, the word minority, I think it, it hits a lot of buttons for a lot of people. But, you know, I think you really hit the nail on the head, uh, Dr. White is, is saying, it, the nomenclature is there for a reason. I think, you know, the word minority, um, it, it does touch a lot of hot buttons. And we've also used the word diverse suppliers as well, and women suppliers and um, small businesses. And, and we're trying to, to use all those other words. But at the at the end of the day, when we are looking at black and brown organizations, um, even after all of these years and decades of the work in supplier diversity, it's still a challenge. And we need to recognize that we do need to work with our black and brown organizations and identify them and really hit our goals strong enough to help us really increase the work and increase the percentage of business that we are doing um, with our black and brown organizations. Um, so, you know, I, I try to say, listen, there are a lot of words and, and things that might hit our buttons. Um, and it, sometimes they're uncomfortable to us to hear certain things. Um, and, you know, when, when we want to stress or make a change in our organization to make a decision on not using a word, that's great. I, I think that's phenomenal. I want to emphasize uh, what, what we are doing to make a real okay. impact in the work to create policy on building and increasing that um, work uh, connections and partnerships and percentage of business that we're doing with our black, brown, um, veteran owned, disabled, LGBTQ, yes. small right. business. Let's, I, I want us to really get our efforts on what's the impact that we are making as leaders to make a change in the organization? And what is the impact that will make the change to help us grow our business and really increase economic inclusion and make a difference in our communities? 
I love that. And let, let's go right there because you're, you're speaking our language. At NWC, we talk a lot about activity versus impact. You know, activity is a start and an end date. Impact is where we look at systems, policies, procedures, culture. We create that shift that can be sustained when you think about it from an impact perspective and not just kind of a moment or activity in time. So let's let's talk about that. For those who are joined here to get together today, and maybe they aren't quite as familiar with all the best practices to establishing and maintaining a very robust supplier diversity initiative that leads towards impact. What can you share? What, what can organizations do to make supplier diversity a norm and to, to really create, again, the outcomes that we ultimately are, are driving for? Okay, so I'm excited. This is my favorite question because <laughs> <laughs> this is where really we need to dive in and to really pay attention to strategy and being able to strategically create a way where supplier diversity is part of the fabric of the organization at an yes. operational level. Because Dr. White talked earlier about you know um, access and talent and, and how HR and, and how that is foundational. Well, supplier diversity is also foundational. You have an organization with many departments and in smaller companies too, you have many departments that have the capability to spend. You have a budget. And you have a leader that makes those decisions to spend that money every year. It's not just yes. senior leadership saying what you're going to spend. They're giving you money and you as a leader in your department are making the decision on how you're spending that money. Yes. Well, that's where you come in operationally. And so getting the entire organization involved in these decisions is important. And it does start from the top. We need the leadership of your organization, your CEO, to be committed. And for me and, and my best practice is having the conversation, being prepared to have that conversation with your CEO understanding that there may be some learning opportunities, but when your CEO understands it, making sure that it is part of the larger language that is communicated to your organization by that CEO and making yeah. sure that, that statement is made aware and is really mentioned at all levels. When you're thinking about leadership meetings, when you're designing your policy, that policy needs to be created from the CEO and your cabinet level and approved by your board. Making sure that that policy is, is driven to make sure that you are really looking to increase that percentage of diverse suppliers within your organization. And what does that look like? Yeah. From there, for us, what was important for me was to create a sustainable way to continue to make this happen. And that was to create a leadership council on supplier diversity that brings in all of those decision makers, those budget decision makers yeah. into a committee that we meet once every, uh, every quarter to understand what opportunities are coming, um, how we can connect our leaders to these partnerships that we mentioned before, our chapters for NMSDC, our chapters for WeBank, our chapters with the NGLC, um, veterans, all of those to make sure that they have the appropriate resources in order to vet the vendors they need when they're looking for contracts and uh, <clears throat> looking for suppliers to supply goods and services for their departments. And <clears throat> not only that, but this council that we have put together 
they're also responsible for actually establishing a goal for the institution on how we are going to now um, increase percentage-wise on an annual basis to make sure that we are sustaining this work and these efforts. And this group um, has to be chaired and the executive sponsors have to be those leaders of supply chain. Um, it's not going to be me. This this work has to be done by the group yes. that's you know creating these contracts, and it's presented to the cabinet for accountability measures to be included in 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 an incentivized way. And I want to I want to specify this because I think we've talked I've I've talked if if people have heard me say this before, people use the term what gets measured gets done, folks. That's not true. <laughs> there are a lot of measures. Yeah. And all of you have probably seen yeah. a lot of measures, but if they're not tied to your performance management or incentives for your growth in an organization, guess what? <laughs> they're not going to do them. We have a lot of work to do. I know for me, I'm busy all the time. You know what I pay attention to? My core objectives that I'm being graded on. And that's important for everyone to know we are human beings. And the reality is there are tons of measures and we have to make a, an intentional effort to make sure that if supplier diversity is important to your organization, that it's tied to your incentives. How is that accountable to our leadership team to make sure that we're paying attention to it and being responsible for the growth of our own community? So that's incredibly important. So I'm, I, I know I'm dabbling and talking too much because yeah, I get so I'm good, passionate about this too. But um, do do I want to stop and 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 get some more questions, or can I keep going? Or oh. well, <laughs> let me just interject for a second to allow you to catch your breath for a moment. This is so good. <laughs> this is so good that I think that it requires kind of pausing, really digesting, taking it in. And I love the reframe of what gets measured gets done. It's what gets measured gets done once the person is held accountable, right? Mm -hmm. And that can be through incentives. That can be through you know again those key performance indicators. Where are there consequences if you're not meeting the mark? That's what we fail to realize. That accountability piece is significant. So I love the idea of this leadership council that is strategically placed to help make sure the outcome that we're seeking gets really established. I think that's great. Um, I want to let you continue on, but something else that I want to make sure I'm bringing to the conversation is, you know, we're talking about at the organizational level, and that's, of course, typically where that supplier diversity um, you know, mindset and strategies, you know, occur. But I also don't want people to sit back if they're not a buyer or, a, you know, a, a, a purchasing director or a supplier diversity director to feel like I have no say in this. I have no influence. We each are consumers of so many goods and services. We know people. How are we being intentional to bring those recommendations into those that within our organizations that are a part of making those buying decisions? I think there's so much that can be done at the individual consumer level as well to help us with this broader goal of economic inclusion. So anyway, but yes, continue on with that. Yeah. Well, I want to dive into what you just said, because I think, you know, when you're not part of the decision making, how can you be a part of, you know, helping the organization grow? And it's really your voice. You know, when you are a part of an organization, you have a boss that makes decisions on budgets and say, hey, listen, you know, I heard we're going to, you know, purchase this. I have a vendor that is certified as minority or women owned or is a veteran owned business and would love for them to be considered or talk to, you know, your supply chain folks. Or if there's a chief diversity officer, 
connect with your chief diversity officer. Anytime you have um, something that will benefit the growth of your economy and connecting our black and brown organizations and our women-owned organizations and bring them to have opportunities for growth for your institution, speak up and let us know. Because a lot of times there may be an organization that we didn't know about. And, and, and another thing, if they're not certified, we can get them connected to the right people to get them certified and maybe even help them, you know, with an, a, a small scholarship to help them become certified. So there are lots of opportunities for that as well. So, um, so yeah, so I wanted to just address that. Use your voice, really speak out and, you know, connect with those folks, um, you know, and, and, and really have your voice heard in your organization, organization, because that really helps. Um, yes. I, and so I will talk about another program that we are very passionate about at Jefferson. Um, it's been very important to me. I've, I've, I've seen this work done um, in other areas, and I wanted to bring to life an opportunity to bring our local vendors um, to the light. Um, because one of the biggest concerns in supplier diversity is that our smaller vendors sometimes don't know how to connect with larger right. organizations or even sometimes smaller organizations. They don't know who the person is to say, hey, I'm here. I have this good. I have this service. I have this opportunity that I can partner with you, maybe save you some money, or I, I do really good work. Whatever it is, they don't know sometimes who to go to. So we have opened up um, and uh, integrated um, a program called Supply Chain Connect. And Supply Chain Connect is focused on our local community, um, our minority-owned, women-owned businesses, um, to get them in front of who, the buyer of who's making the decision for that particular contract to pitch their organization. So it's mm -hmm. kind of like Shark Tank, but not so much. But every other Tuesday, we bring in an MWBE, which is a minority women business entrepreneur, in front of uh, a contract um, uh, that is getting ready to open and have them present directly to the person who will be making decisions. And this is important because sometimes our businesses don't know who these folks are. And so it's an opportunity for us to say, we have the opportunity for you to present in front of us. And a lot, and what our community appreciates a lot about this is they're getting a direct person. And I wanna make that, uh, make this point. A lot of vendors get um, responses from organizations to tell them to go to a database on their website right. and yes. say, you know, um, put your name in the database and we'll get back to you. Well, guess what? Nobody ever gets back to the vendor. And it and it's so disheartening and our and our vendors lose trust with our organizations because of this. And so I don't want to tell somebody to go to a database. I want somebody to sign up for Supply Chain Connect and we get them in front of a vendor when we have the contract open for them to present what they can offer for our organization in person. So it's important for us to understand the challenges that small businesses do have because you, know, you have organizations that try to just you know, send someone to a black hole, say, you know, put your name in this database, and then they're sitting there waiting, 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 and never hear anything. And that could be detrimental to their the loyalty and the connection that you have with your community. 
supply chain connect. I love that approach. I love that idea. And again, we have to be very creative, strategic, and innovative in how which we're trying to solve for the inequities that exist right now around opportunities that really can help propel um, minority-owned businesses to the next level. So that's where a lot of like when we talk about NMSDC, CVMSDC, I know that they're really big on those um, those matchmaking experiences. We want to connect those um, business leaders directly with someone who can give them the most accurate information who are holding the decisions. And I think that's critical. Sometimes people just don't know how to do business with certain corporations. So if there's not a willingness to help um, educate, then we're going to continue to see that divide and um, opportunities to be missed. Um, I love the fact that you mentioned the, the the practice of many organizations to send people to a database that happens all the time, all the time. And I realize that that can be a really efficient way of trying to capture a directory that then you kind of sift through. But you're right. It does feel like they're just going down this rabbit hole and it's not really producing any results. It's nothing like being able to have a real connection point. So, so thank you for bringing that to the conversation. So I have so many more questions, but I want to shift now because I don't want to be selfish. I want to make sure that this community has an opportunity to address any questions that may be coming up for you, um, any curiosities you're holding, or perhaps it's something you want to contribute that you think would also be of value to this topic. You can share your questions simply by placing it in the chat. If you don't desire to um, be spotlighted and to unmute yourself and present live, we'll certainly pay attention to that. Um, although we do love to see smiling faces. And if you are willing to um, be spot placed into the spotlight, then and raise your hand. That lets me know that I can pull you into this conversation. So while maybe folks are thinking about questions and comments, I'm going to go to one more, and then hopefully we'll have some takers that are willing to um, leverage your great insight, Lisette, that you are providing to us. Now, so um, how do you, you mentioned boards in the beginning when you were talking about those um, stakeholders who can help really facilitate accountability around these outcomes we're seeking. So how do you work with board members to help create goals um, related to incentives um, that can help yield, again, greater supply or diverse spend? Yeah, great question. You know, that it's, it's a tactic that, um, takes a little bit of time and you have to be incredibly prepared to present to a board to help the board have an, a, an incredible amount of understanding of why it, this is important for your organization to um, be connected with the community and just supplier diversity as a whole. What is that business case? You have to be clear on what that means for your organization and understand how you're going to draft and, and really create a model of how you're going to um, create a goal for your organization as well, so that the board can see and understand what that means. And when you're working with um, uh, boards to create accountability, you also have to have an understanding of how incentives are created within your corporation. Mm -hmm. um, there's a, a, a lot of different goals that are put in place that are incentivized. Um, there can't be a million of them. <laughs> there can only right. be a very few, a uh, very handful of, of numbers because there's a lot of money involved in how they actually incentivize goals that go to our to the organization. So when you're thinking about thinking about how you're going to um, 
form how this plays out, you have to be very creative as to how it will be um, uh, included into an enterprise-wide goal. So a lot of times you have maybe five goals, which obviously, you, you know, you're looking at a people goal, a financial goal. Um, you know, you're, you're looking at it in healthcare, you're looking at patients, uh, you know, experience and safety and those things that you have to consider. Um, and how does this particular goal fit in? And so that's important for you to be able to be creative and how you do that. Um, and so sometimes um, uh, being sure that that can be a part of maybe a procurement goal that is um, part of that incentivized way, it's, it's important to partner with your committee which um, is important to help create that goal. Um, supply chain, um, it's important to have them involved as well. And as your advocates, those that have budget, um, budgetary responsibility, um, it's important to understand where their budgets um, look like as well. Um, coming from a goal that's enterprise, that's an incentivized goal is one thing. Then how do you carve that out within the organization and present that to the board for them to understand? Yeah. So having your committee in place to help you understand what that looks like is important because you have departments within your organization like human resources, finance, legal, right. marketing, um, you know, patient experience, all of these things that are that make up your organization and they have budgetary responsibilities. Understanding what they have open in order for uh, um to um, uh, account for contracts for the next year is important to then uh, be able to set goals. So you can then um, dictate if HR says, you know, well, we have 10% that's going to be open for next year for this particular contract. We want to say, okay, so we want to take that 10% and I want you to say 30% of that will be uh, given to minority vendors. Nice. And so you want to be able to carve out from all the opportunities and budgets that are in the departments to be specifically geared towards supplier diversity spend. And so that's a creative way that you can um, formulate that that leads to a larger enterprise goal and being able to um, craft that in a way that uh, spells out and connects to the business case that's what the boards will, will want to see. They're looking for data. They're looking for what that metric is and how um, how how are we being held accountable for it is important. Um, and can we actually meet that uh, at goal is another thing, is the realistic uh, goal. Yeah, um, get your board involved. I mean, mm -hmm. absolutely, get your board involved. A lot of these boards are, they're governing bodies. And we know that when things are of, of importance to the board, it gets trickled down throughout the entire system. And so, but the way to do that is with data, is with clarity in your communications, and then let that communication strategy also trickle down to all stakeholders throughout the organization so that they are also aware of the goal, of, of the why behind the goal, and they can help support it. Um, I also, I'm not seeing any hands raised so far, but there is a question I'm going to get to in the chat just in just a moment. But I do want to get you, Lisette, to talk about the value of uh, mentor, protege type programs and initiatives. We hear often that um, part of like the supplier diversity world, there's a lot of tier one, tier two type situations, right? So can you bring a little bit of clarity to what that entails exactly and what the value is? Yeah, absolutely. So I'll start off with tier one, tier two. Tier one um, opportunities are direct contracts that you have with vendors outside that you actually pay an invoice directly to. That would be considered a tier one vendor. 
A tier two vendor is really a vendor that you're holding them accountable for minority spend. And whatever language you use to make that happen is, is gonna be different for every corporation, but you can say, you know, 30% of whatever you do with us has to be with minority spend. And that's just holding that company accountable. So you're not paying anybody directly, you're paying a majority company, but you're holding them accountable to then report back to you how much spend they're doing with the work that they have promised with you. So that's the difference. Um, uh, within that particular category. Um, and I, I'm sorry, uh, I got, I got, what was the first part again? I apologize. It really was just about understanding tier one and tier two and kind of mentor protege, you oh, know, mentor how protege. sometimes part, yeah, how partnering yeah. sometimes can help get people in the door at entry point, right? Absolutely. I think that that part about mentoring is so incredibly important, especially with small businesses within your organization, within your community and your organization. Um, and the industry that you're in can dictate that as well. So I'm in healthcare. So um, any kind of work that is done in a hospital setting where there are patients, um, vendors need to know how to work around that and keep the environment still safe. Um, and if they're delivering or if they're doing construction or whatever it is they're doing within your entity. And so sometimes if you have a new vendor that doesn't have that experience, it's important to partner them with the majority contract holder right. and have them be shadowed and give them a smaller portion. That's uh, one thing I want to share with all of you because there's so much to talk about with this particular topic. But contracts that are um, held by organizations, a lot of times people think they all have to be 100% or nothing. And that's not yeah. true. You right. can have a contract for, say, for example, snow removal, right? And that contract, you know, you probably have given it to ABC company 100%, but you don't have to. You can give ABC 75% and 25% of that contract can go to, you know, Miss Martinez snow removal and, and, and partner them to, to help that smaller organization grow. And that's important for all of you to know that you can be creative with contracts and help smaller organizations take smaller chunks and be able to grow their business so that one day they could fulfill a 100% contract. So being creative in that way, you can split it up into halves or however you want, but to help an organization get better and grow and understand how to work in your business, it's important to partner them with larger organizations, have them mentor them, have them understand how to do the business, and also provide them a little smaller portion of a contract. Absolutely. Do not demise small beginnings. It is an entry point. And then growth is certainly, you know, should be on the horizon. But that can be a game changer when we think about the fact that a lot of small minority businesses may not even have the capacity to take on a contract that's at that, you know, 70, you know, million dollar contract, but what they could do is maybe one that's much less than that, that's right in their wheelhouse. And so I think that also being mindful to make sure that we're setting up our minority owned businesses, diverse suppliers for to be successful is important as well. Um, sometimes I, I realize that a lot of minority businesses, because they're so just hungry for, for the work and the opportunity, they may say yes, and not really fully be equipped at that time um, with the capacity to take that on. And then that creates you know, additional challenges. And so um, I love that we can amplify the importance of, of really evaluating you know, um, 
all of those ways in which we can help provide a piece of the pie, if you will, to these um, diverse suppliers. So there is a question that um, popped up into the chat that I want to bring in while we have just a few minutes left. And this is actually from Lisa Ong. And Lisa, as I mentioned at the start of the hour, she's going to be an upcoming um, guest co-host for IC Podcast. And she says, how can we strategically amplify and capture our impact as magnificent, wonderful, and differentiated specialty suppliers and share trusted referrals with influential decision makers. What would you say to that, Lisette? You know, it, yeah, it's about those networking opportunities and relationships, right? And how we get into the door and uh, be able to share what it is we're doing. Um, that's the important biggest piece is that relationship piece. How do we get in the door and to, to know that? I know for us, it's through Supply Chain Connect. We've opened the door. Mm -hmm. We have those people available to kind of hear from our vendors to understand what they're doing um, and also to understand where their place in the market is for us and vet them and get them prepared. Um, you know, it's, it's really researching. You know, being part and a member of NMSCC or WeBank and participating in the minority networks um, that they have or women networks that they have is also a way to kind of amplify your voice and what you're doing within your business. Um, there's such a following for both NMSDC right. and WeBank. And I know Dr. White, you can speak to that. But once you begin to know other organizations and get to know <clears throat> their uh, their connections and get to get those names, you can start building those relationships. But participating in the matchmaker sessions, participating in the conferences, um, getting to know who these leaders are that you wanna work for, find out who they are. A lot of times, uh, you'll know, you can find names on their websites. Their emails may not be on there, but try different forms of getting the email so you can actually get your voice out there and get connected with the businesses. Um, but, you know, I think a lot of organizations are looking and understand supplier diversity and being more mindful. And I'm, I'm seeing a change. Um, and, and I know for us, we're trying to help people learn how to be more creative and building those relationships. So just speaking your voice and getting out there is important. Yes, network, network, network. And um, we have to keep in mind, sometimes I know that just the phenomenon of networking can be really intimidating for people. But when you consider that a lot of those um, procurement leaders, purchasers, those are in the position of supplier diversity, most of them have diverse supplier spend goals. And so it helps them to also build up their knowledge of all of those um, diverse suppliers. And so don't be afraid to make those connections and really cultivate those relationships. So we're almost at the top of the hour. I want to thank you so so very much, Lisette, for being here today. I feel like the conversation could have continued for at least another hour. Yeah. We'll have to consider that and maybe invite you back. But I want to give you the last 60 seconds to share with us anything that's coming up for you that perhaps you did not get a chance to socialize in this hour of time. So you have the last word. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much. This has been phenomenal to be able to share. And as, as you know, Dr. White said, we could talk about this for hours. It's, it's such a great topic. 
listen, we have a supplier um, supply chain connect program at Jefferson. It's right on our website. Please connect with us. We are uh, building up our schedule. I think we're booked up to the end of the year, but we want to make sure that we get folks in line to present to our folks um, and really update, uh, really increase our spend, but also help the economic inclusion with our community. So um, please connect with us in Supply Chain Connect as well. Uh, next week, we have our very first um, uh, inaugural diversity, equity, and inclusion summit. We have a lot of great speakers. Um, we have that posted on diversity.jefferson.edu um, so folks can participate as well. Um, and, you know, listen, uh, I, I want to make a plug for NMSDC and WeBank uh, again. Um, for those who don't have a program, they can help you as well. If you are in your health in a health system, I don't know what all industries are here. Mm -hmm. Health systems partner with what we call a GPO, which is a group purchasing organization. Um, uh, a lot of times, and I don't know, there, there is somebody on the call named Deborah Williams, which if that's the right Deborah Williams works for Premier, and that's a GPO. These organizations, um, health healthcare organizations, work with GPOs specifically for contracts. So that's mm. another avenue. Um, and they have great supplier diversity programs. And if it's the right Deborah Williams, she's the director of supplier diversity um, and manages their whole initiative for, for that GPO. GPOs, you can Google them. There are several of them like Premier, there's Vizient, and they actually manage the purchasing portfolios for health industry, for hospital systems. So we can, if, if you um, are a member of WeBank, NMSDC, um, a GPO is another avenue for healthcare to be a part of in order to get recognized and be put into um, RFPs uh, for opportunities in the future as well. So I just wanted to share, um, making sure folks understand that the GPO piece is another part for healthcare. <laughs> So many great resources, and I'm seeing a lot of it find its way into the chat. We will also make sure that we share out some of the resources that have been um, communicated during this podcast when we send the replay to all of those who registered. Lissette, thank you so much again. We look forward to having you back. I'm seeing in the chat, yes, please have her back. Please have her back. So we will definitely be in touch about that. Have a safe and wonderful, restful um, weekend, and we look forward to seeing you all back here again next Friday. If you've enjoyed this, share it out with someone in your network. Thanks, and have a great weekend. Bye-bye.